All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. I have to be honest, I was kind of hoping I wouldn't be here today. And uh, what kind of a, a sacrilegious thing for a minister to say about his own church. But the truth is, I was really hoping to have a new baby today. And we still don't have one. Stacy, can you stand up, please? There's my beautiful wife right there in all of her radiant glory. And I actually did this as a favor to her because I know all of you are going to be asking her after church what happened. And this is going to save her a lot of explaining. So it just hasn't happened yet. Let's put it that way. okay? but she does go in tomorrow night to be induced. And so if you could be praying for uh, us as well, we'd really appreciate that. We're very excited. Uh, My family is here from out of town. Also, my father, Tim and my stepmom, Heather, my brother, Joseph, are here visiting with us. They flew in, convinced that they certainly had scheduled their flight late enough to meet our new child. But if you know anything about the history of our children, none of them are on time. So that's the way it is. Uh, we're going to have a, an awesome time together this morning. And we're finishing our series, as Mike talked about, on Big Church. And the title of today's lesson is Big Impact. And I want you to think for a minute, who's made a big impact on your life? Now, the natural answer I know when you're in church is God and Jesus, but, but go beyond that. Who are the people in your life that have had a radical impact on your life? And I want to share uh, specifically today about one person that has done that for me. Adrian, thank you. There he is. That's my dad right there in the middle. Yeah, that is four generations of handsome Swedish men right there. And there's me on his knee. And uh, I, I appreciate my dad so much. He's been an incredible example in my life. And he planted seeds of faith in my life when I was a young child. We went to church. And uh, Adrian, I guess I'm going to need your help all day long here. There we go. Some people wonder why I grow a beard every once in a while. There's my dad with his beard. You can blame him. Um, Who's doing that for me? There we go. There's high school graduation right there. Proud Papa. He's aged pretty well, Dad. And there's uh, my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary right there. And my grandfather, who's now 91 years old. And my dad. Big impact. Who's had a big impact on your life? And uh, as we begin this morning, let's uh, bow for prayer and really ask God to have an effect on our hearts as we think about the impact that he wants to have, not only on us, but with us in the world that we live in. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day, this beautiful weekend that we have here. Father, we're so fortunate to live where we do, to be able to walk outside and be able just to look at your creation and worship you. Uh, How amazing it is, God, that you've loved us so much. Thank you for the people that have impacted our lives. God, the, the people that you've put in our paths to help us and encourage us. And strengthen our faith. And we pray that this morning we would leave that way. We would leave strengthen our faith, encouraged to follow you more closely, to know you better, to know your scriptures better, to have a true faith, a strong faith, that one day, God, when we meet you, you will be pleased with our walk. Uh, Help us today. Be with me today as I preach. And I pray that uh, just that we would walk out of here today excited to be closer to you 
And really, Father, excited to have a big impact in the community that we live in. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for how you treat us, how you take care of us. Bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Big impact. Well, we live in a world that needs big impact, don't we? That needs our help. And uh, I'm just going to call your name, Clay, every time I need you to click. Uh, We talked about big impact in the church in the first century and how in the first century, opening day was huge. Now, I'm a uh, San Francisco Giants fan, for all of those uh, that don't know. Uh, Won the World Series last year. Opening day was glorious. The first time in my life, 37 years, the Giants have won the World Series. And opening day, the Giants walked out there on the field and they had special jerseys with gold letters, Giants. They had gold letters on their hats and they got their ring. Opening day, sold out park. Everyone's excited. You know, opening day in God's kingdom in the book of Acts was even more amazing. 3,000 people were baptized and became disciples. And the church grew on that one day from 120 disciples to 3,120 disciples. And as we've gone and we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people got baptized. And we're joining the body of Christ and, and we're having an impact in Jerusalem. But then something happened. Uh, the Christians were so emboldened. And we're so passionate about what they believed in that the Roman government began to try to put down this movement. Opening day was glorious. The, the, the beginnings were amazing. Clay, if you could go ahead and keep going here. Thousands converted. Bold and courageous acts of the early Christians. Peter talked about that last week. And the gospel spreads. And, and as persecution breaks out in Jerusalem... Disciples who were from different places went home. And you think based on the persecution that Peter talked about last week, the, the, the flogging and, and the, the death, that it would quiet the voice of the disciples. But instead what happened is that people went home. People went to their home uh, cities and villages and even countries, but they continued to share about Jesus and share about the gospel. And this is how the gospel spread so quickly in the first century. And it's a great lesson to us today that sometimes there's difficulties that happen. Sometimes there's challenges that happen in our lives that we don't understand, we can't explain. But if we have a true faith this morning, if we have a deep faith in God, we trust God is in control. And there really is a reason for why this is happening, even if we don't know it yet. And so we can believe that. Big impact. Lives are changed one by one. And so as you get deeper into the book of Acts, you see... The, the, the story of thousands being converted, but you also see the story of individuals becoming disciples. And stories of specific people, like you and me, being told of how they uh, changed their lives, how they repented of sin, how they learned about Jesus and became disciples themselves. Not only them, but sometimes their whole families became disciples. And so, yes, the impact was still by the thousands. But but the book of Acts begins to tell the story of individual people, individual lives that are changed. Are you grateful that God has changed your life? Are you grateful for the big impact that Jesus has had on your life? Let's keep going, Clay. One person at a time. 
The need is great in our community today for people to be impacted in a giant way. I just want to show this stat to you. It's kind of the latest updated statistic on divorce in our community. In L.A. County, 75% of couples will get divorced. In South Orange County, that number rises to 80%. And those who go on military deployment, 90% divorce rate when they come back from fighting for your country and my country. These are staggering numbers. These are good people, many of whom believe in God and want to have successful marriages and want to have great families. But there is a great need for help. There is a great need for God. I want to read a story of something that happened just this week in New York. A woman upset with the father of her children packed her four youngsters into her minivan and drove into the frigid Hudson River, killing everyone except her 10-year-old son who managed to roll down the window of the sinking vehicle and swim to shore. Officials believe the 10-year-old hit the button on a power window to escape from the driver's side as the minivan began to sink in the 45-degree water. Fire Chief Michael Vatter said the vehicle went under within two minutes. All the other three children, ages 5, 2, and 11 months, were killed. Armstrong appeared stressed out when she picked up the children Tuesday at the young and unique Christian development child care, said the supervisor in the infant room. The only thing she would say is that she was so alone. She's a single parent. She takes great care of her kids. She goes to school and she works. She really needed a helping hand. You know, like it or not, this is the condition of the world that we live in. And it's very easy for us to detach ourselves and disconnect ourselves from the incredibly horrific things that go on around us. And yet God wants you and I to have a big impact on the world that we live in. And sometimes I know, and we're going to talk about this today, sometimes we think, how can I have an impact? You don't know me. You don't know what goes on in my life. You don't know how hard it is to believe that I can have an impact. But God believes you can have an impact. Amen? And we're going to see that today uh, from this lesson. Big church is meant to have a big impact. And as Peter has stressed, as, as he's shared, and, and as I'm sharing today, Big church does not necessarily mean that that this church becomes huge numerically. It's the kind of impact we can have in our communities. And, And it does not take long for us to walk outside these doors and see there is a huge need for impact in our community. And the book of Acts begins describing this. From opening day until now, major impact was happening in the church. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look at two conversion stories in the book of Acts today. And then uh, we will take communion together. Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin with the Ethiopian eunuch. And we're going to look at the two men involved in the story, the eunuch, and we're going to look at Philip. And I know the campus ministry is missing today. They're like the vibrant, excited, fired up people in the church. And so I need you guys to make up for their absence today. I always need a good encouragement up here. You can uh, scream and yell at me, you know. I know when you go to a baseball game or a hockey match, you're screaming and yelling at the guys on the, uh, on the great stage there. So you can just go ahead and yell at me all you want. Okay, verse 26. 
Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I don't know exactly how the spirit tells Philip to do this. I don't know if Philip hears like, you know, a voice in his head or if there's a big sound boom in the sky or I don't know what what it is necessarily. But most of us in our relationship with God know what it's like to feel prompted by God. And what happens over time is when we feel prompted by God or we, we, we know that voice is kind of from God saying, hey, you ought to do this. And we kind of quell the voice. We go, shh, I don't want to hear that right now. I'm busy. I got stuff going on. I'm cooking dinner. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. The voice listens. And over time, that voice dies down more and more and more and more. And pretty soon, we don't hear that voice anymore. I think it's critical for us as as disciples today to ask the question, am I hearing the voice of the Spirit? Am I hearing the voice of God? You go, well, how do I know it's the voice of God or just those crazy voices in my head? you're like me, sometimes, you know, you have those conversations with yourself, right? And like, what am I talking about? I know Stacy does that. I hear her have conversations in the kitchen. I say, what? She goes, I'm just talking to myself. All right. All right. I do it too. Most of us do that. They say highly intelligent people do that. I don't know who they are, but I accept what they say. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariots. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, history records that in the first century, there was a lot of Christian activity in this area of Africa, in Ethiopia. How does that happen? 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem, how does this place become kind of this hotbed of Christianity? Let's believe this is the only reference we have in the Bible that this eunuch, this prominent man, and Clay, we can go ahead and keep the slides rolling here. This prominent man, this famous man of royalty and responsibility, he is the treasurer for the queen. He's riding in a chariot. You don't just ride around in a chariot in the first century unless you're somebody important. And Philip 
dirty and hearing the voice of the Lord is running around on the road and the spirit says, hey, go over there. He goes, all right, cool. I'm going over there. And he says, hey, what are you doing? And you, you just you see the eunuch. This guy's an incredible man. He's a man of nobility, but he's also a man of humility. You know, sometimes it's we, 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 we view the, the, the wealthy people or the people of great influence as the most arrogant or the most prideful. But the Bible teaches us something different here. Sometimes it's the wealthy people that actually are the most open people. They've already figured out money doesn't get you happiness. They don't spend a lifetime trying to figure it out and then find out at the end and then it was all a waste. You know what I mean? They've already got it figured out. And that's where this guy was at. And so let's focus on these two people for a minute. Think about Philip. Who was Philip? I mean, who is Philip really? Acts chapter 6 records that Philip was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, he was promoted to a position in the church because he was such an awesome guy. What position was he promoted to? Feeding the widows. All right. Hey, what do you do for the church? I feed the widows. Check it out, man. Okay, that's pretty awesome. The widows are awesome. You're feeding them. That's awesome. It takes a special person to do that, right? That's what Philip did. That's what made him awesome. He was a servant in the church. You know, if you're like me, it's very easy to see all of your own flaws. How many people are like that? Like, if I told you to write down three weaknesses right now, could you do it in like ten seconds? Okay. You're like, I'm selfish, I'm mean, and I'm ugly. You know I mean? It's not hard, right? It's real easy. Now, how about write down three strengths? Well... I don't know. I like to read. I don't know. I mean, I, it's harder to sometimes think about the things that we're good at, that we're gifted in. And, and, and sometimes because we're that way, because that is, for many of us, that's our makeup. We, we, we bombard ourselves with neg- negativity all day long and we begin to believe those negative voices. And then when, when, when we read the scriptures, we say, okay, God's calling us to do something great for him. And maybe that prompting voice comes your way. You go, I don't know. I'm so full of sin and I'm, I'm just shameful and I can't have an impact. And this is, this is the way we can think about ourselves. But what made Philip awesome was that he was feeding the widows. I want you to stand up right now. If in the last year you have served in some capacity in the church from Hope Day to Kingdom Kids to babysitting for Josh and Stacy, to uh, worship ministry, faith ministry, audio tech ministry in the back that does such an awesome job. If you've served in any capacity, stand up, please, right now. Any capacity. Everybody, don't be shy. Don't let those negative voices tell you to sit down. Everyone stand up. Who's served? Okay. Look around for a minute. No, no, no. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Just look around for a minute. Okay, you people who are standing are equivalent to Philip in the Bible right now. Why? Because you just served. I like how the whole ushering crew in the back is all standing in their purple back there. That's pretty awesome, right? Okay, you can be seated. Why am I having you do this? Because we forget so easily that God can use us. Now, let's talk about the eunuch for a minute. The eunuch is this guy, he's kind of this belief-based guy. What does that mean? It means that when it comes to his faith, he's like a lot of people today that simply believe, if I believe in Jesus, everything's good. And that's a very prominent teaching in Christianity today. If you believe in Jesus as the Son of God, you're going to be saved and that's all good. 
And that's what this guy is like. Think about what this guy does. He, he, he travels 1,500 miles to worship God. Would you say he is a pretty sincere guy? This guy's amazing. I mean, some of us, we won't drive 10 minutes to go to church on Sunday. This guy gets in his chariot and travels thousands of miles to worship God. He's on his way home. And what's he doing? Reading his Bible, baby. Come on. Give me some of that good Isaiah stuff. He's like this guy. Some guy comes up to him. He gives him this beautiful big box. He goes, here, take this box. Wow, this is pretty awesome, man. Look how colorful it is. And What is it? I don't know. What does it do? I'm not sure. What's inside? I don't know, but I'm giving it to you. Keep it. It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Walking around with this big heavy box. It's beautiful. It's, it's awesome. But I don't know what it's used for. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to get inside it. And so you know what you do with a box like that over time? What would you do? Toss it. Or I'd be really, really resentful toward the box over a long time. Man, I hate this box. Why am I carrying around? I don't even know what's inside. It's supposed to be awesome. But oh, this is what a lot of us are like today with our faith. I believe in Jesus. I got the box, but I don't know what to do with it. Everything's supposed to be good, right? I mean, I'm supposed to be like going to heaven and happy and I got this, but it becomes a weight around your neck because you don't know what to do with it. So you don't really do anything with your faith, but you believe. Isn't that good enough? This eunuch is amazing because after all of his sincere religiosity, he's still honest with the fact I don't understand the Bible. Hey, dirty guy down there, come on up in my chariot and explain it to me. I mean, this guy's amazing. Come up here and explain the Bible to me. Where are you at this morning? Are you a disciple? Are you sharing your faith like Philip? Are you listening to the prompting of God or are you quieting it down? Do you really know the scriptures this morning? Or are you kind of having a sincere religious faith, but not really understanding the scriptures, not really knowing the scriptures for yourself? You know what happens over time if you don't know the scriptures, you don't understand your faith? You either ditch it like that box or you resent it. I don't want to go to church. I'd rather watch football this morning. I don't understand it. And what we really need to do is we need to look at the eunuch's example of humility and say, hey, somebody teach me, please. Somebody help me out here. And what, if you're in the other guy's shoes, what you need to do is you need to be listening for that. Hey, where's the eunuch? Where is that guy? I mean, who was Philip really? Philip was a nobody in many ways, but he had a heart to serve, just like so many of you do. And he listened to the prompting of God, and guess what? He had an amazing impact on a nation. On a nation. Okay, let's keep going. Clay, you with me? The hallmark of the eunuch is humility. Look in verses 31 and 34. Look what he says. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? He doesn't try to act like, oh, yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah. It's Isaiah, right? Yeah, he's kind of, yeah, I got it. I'm good. You know, when you're religious, 
you're good. When you're religious, you're good. Everyone's good when you're religious. Everything's good when you're religious. God doesn't want religious. Everything is not good. Look at the world you live in. And belief-based faith is destructive. It's destructive. You've got to know what God's talking about. The eunuch has no idea what to do with it. And he invites Philip up and Philip explains it to him. And he's like, thank you so much, man. I, I've, been on this, I've been on this quest for years. Wow. Finally, I understand faith. Last point on the eunuch. The eunuch needs Philip. Some of you in here today, you need a Philip. Find your Philip. That's your goal today. I've got to find my Philip. Okay, big impact. Let's look at Paul. Acts chapter 9, but we're going to hold your place there in Acts chapter 9. You're going to turn over to Acts 22 real quick. Everyone still here with me? Kind of got quiet in there, and I don't like it getting quiet, so. I'm not mad at any of you, I promise. I just really want this baby to be born, so. You could throw up another prayer right now, that'd be awesome. Verse 3. We're going to look now, instead of a belief-based guy, we're going to look at a ritual-based faith guy. We're going to look at Paul. And Paul credits his religiosity to his traditions, to his rituals, the things that he does. Because he's, 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 he's born and bred in Judaism. That's the way Jewish law was. If you do this and this and this, you're good. And we're going to see how that was inadequate in the eyes of Jesus right here. Then Paul said, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in the city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. So also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. This is Paul. Super knowledgeable guy. He's got like a lot of good gray matter going on. And he's super zealous. He put any of us to shame in terms of his zeal. But his zeal and his religiosity led him to places the Bible would never lead him. It led him to places Jesus would never lead him. It led him to kill in the name of God. Now let's look over in Acts chapter 9. Let's pick up the story here. He talks about going to Damascus. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood up, stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
And he's come here now with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. In case you didn't know that, God just wanted to fill you in. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. You know, it's a really interesting study, just on a side topic. If you have nothing to study in your quiet times right now, just study the word go in the New Testament. See where it leads you. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Next slide, please. Big impact. Paul is a man who traveled around and killed other people, disciples. He's a man of major influence. And I dare I say he's a little bit intimidating to share your faith with, right? This is the way Ananias was feeling. He tends towards a ritual-based faith. And he wasn't naturally humble. Humility was forced upon him by God. But because... He was ready because he was humbled. He could be impacted and he needed Ananias. Now, let's look at these two guys for a minute. Who is Ananias? We talked about Philip in the last scripture. Who is Ananias? Yeah, that's about all we know about him. He's some guy. We know a lot less about Ananias than we do Philip, right? From the scriptures. He appears in this scripture. He does this incredible thing. He converts Paul author of, what, two-thirds of the New Testament of the books? Crazy impact Ananias has. What happens to Ananias afterwards? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. He went home, lived his life, and (laughs) died. I don't know what happened to him. He's a nobody! What kind of impact did he have in his life? Huge. Enormous. Now, I imagine if I were to ask you if you're somebody today, you'd probably say, no, I'm a nobody. But can a nobody have amazing impact on the lives of other people? Can a nobody have an amazing impact on Southern California? Can a nobody have an amazing impact on the neighborhood that you live in? Absolutely. And look at Ananias' heart. I mean, he's like, God, don't send me to this guy. Do you know why he's here, God? I got the inside scoop on him. He's here to kill people. Now, imagine you're Ananias and you walk into the room with Paul. How are you feeling? I mean, I know some of you are scared to share your faith, but how are you really feeling right now? This could be it. This could be my final act as a disciple. Okay, God, you said to do it. I'm going to listen to the voice. I'm going to go. And he addresses Saul. What does he say to Saul? What does he call Saul? Brother. Man, that's awesome. This guy killed people that Ananias knows. And Ananias' first word is to embrace him as a brother. Love your enemies. Forgive everybody. This is the impact that a life really lived, a true faith in Jesus can have on anybody. Can you imagine if he came in all resentful and angry? Paul, you jerk! 
Yeah, I'm going to convert you, but first I'm going to hit you a few times, you know what I mean? Let me give you what you deserve, man. He says, all right, Paul, I'm here to help you. I'm a nobody. Brother Saul, receive your sight. Now, Paul, I mean, he's in a class all by himself. He is extremely religious. He thinks he's got it all figured out. Because he lives his life according to a code. A Jewish moral law. But it becomes very unclear over time when you live by ritual traditions in your religion. And this is very, this is very easy for any of us in this church to become. So I'm talking to you, disciple. Okay? It's very easy to become distant relationally from God and yet doing what you think is right. And you know this is true for some of you in this room. I mean, can you imagine when I married my wife, if I told her, okay, you know, honey, we're married now and everything, and you're awesome. Now I know you think I'm awesome, and you're right. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the way our relationship's going to work. We're going to hang out a little bit on the weekends, maybe during the week a little bit, a couple hours. Other than that, i got things to do, places to be, but I love you. You think she would be fired up about that relationship? And this is the way families become. Families can become, family can be very traditional. We've got rituals, we've got things we do during the holidays and stuff we do, but there's no real relationship. There's no real closeness. There's no real talking between the parents and the children. What's really going on in your heart? What's really happening in your life? Let's talk about what's going on. Let's build a relationship. And the Bible teaches that our relationship with God is supposed to be even more important than our marriage. And so if you have a ritual-based faith, what happens is church becomes the entirety of your relationship with God. Because you go to church, you're good. But there's no relationship. You don't really know the Bible. You go there and you kind of get preached to and told what to do or whatever, and you kind of go, okay, I'm good. I'm good because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But there's no relationship. And it turns into that marriage thing. You know, I see a couple hours God on the weekends and we're good, right? And God's like, who, who are you? Do we know each other? What was your name again? Is that what your relationship with God is like? You go, oh, okay, okay, okay. How much time do I have to spend with God every day? Aha. You are ritual-based. It's not about, I don't ask, how much time, honey, do I have to spend with you today to make you happy? She goes, none, get out of here, you know. (laughs) You don't got to spend no time with me, Jack. Does the church define your relationship with God or does it enhance it? You go, well, I just go to this church. I don't really believe what the leadership of my church teaches. I'm just affiliated with the Lighthouse Church of Christ. You know, Peter, he gets up there and he says some things. And Josh, you know, he kind of has his own opinions. So many people are like that today. Can you believe that? They go to a church and they don't even really believe what the church teaches wholesale. And you know why that is? Because fundamentally, they don't know the Bible. And this is the problem with inadequate faith today. Belief-based faith, ritual-based faith, it, it, it all eliminates knowing the Bible. And our role, brothers and sisters, is to know the Bible. 
God has given us the Bible. And it is so readily available to everybody today. You can get it online. You can read it for free. You can get it anywhere you want. And someday we're going to face God and he's going to get the Bible and he's going to go, this is what the Bible says. You go, oh, I didn't really know that was in there. Gosh, my preacher said this. Hope he was right. So you got the traditions down and it gives you a false security and a false faith. And that's exactly what Paul had, a false faith. He needed an Ananias so bad. Let's go to the next slide here. Both Paul and the eunuch were sincerely religious. Okay? Both of these guys had a radical impact in their life. They were both prominent men. But both needed help finding God. They didn't have it figured out on their own. And both made the decision, hey, I need to get baptized. I need to make a change in my life. I need to repent of my sin. I need to get right with God. Where are you at today? We're going to watch a video here in a minute about um, the kind of impact that God wants us to have and the things that limit us in our ability to have that impact. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus, I am so excited today. It's like I woke up and thought today is the day to get working for Jesus. Kat, I'm so excited to find someone who's ready to take action and get things done. Oh, man, I am that girl. Exactly. Yeah. I've got something perfect for you. So let's get started. What are you doing? Uh, Stand up. Remember, we were going to take action. Yeah, but this is where I always sit. Right, but I need more than this. Oh, I know what you're getting at. Okay, Jesus, how much do you want? $50? Is that enough? Oh, uh, that's not what I meant. Oh, uh, all right. Well, 100 then, you know. You drive a hard bargain. (laughs) Um, Okay, but... um, you might not want to cash this till next Friday. You know what I'm saying? Right. There you go. Okay. Kat, really, I, I do think it's great that you want to give, but I want you to mentor a younger woman. Ooh, yeah, right. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm not really into, like, teaching people and stuff. I mean, I'm not, I don't really get into that. Okay. Um, okay. You, you know that woman at the office, Amy? Yeah. I want you to take her out to lunch. Tell her about me. Um, well, Amy is different. I mean, like, really different, you know? I know, but she needs to know about me. Mm, and I can tell the people at the church to call her. I mean, they get paid to do things like that. I want you to do that. Jesus, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. (laughs) No, Kat. The problem is, you're too comfortable. (laughs) Have you gotten too comfortable? If we're going to have a big impact, if we're going to be the church God has called us to be, we need to be like Philip. We need to be like Ananias, willing to be a nobody, willing to serve anybody, and just pray that God would use us. Questions as we finish today. Big impact. First question. What are the possibilities for you? What does God have in mind for you? The kind of impact that he wants you to have in your life. Why do you think you live where you do? Why do you think God put you there? Just random chance? 
or was it for a specific purpose? And what is the impact that God wants you to have? And finally, what stops you from studying the Bible? Maybe you're visiting this morning, and I don't know if I want to study the Bible. What stops you? What stops you from reengaging your heart with God? And let's go to the next slide. What stops you from having an impact? You know, I don't just ask you these questions so that you have some questions. I really want you to think about this today. What is it that stops you? I know this video affects me deeply because it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to forget the calling that God's given us. As we prepare our hearts for communion, this scripture is in Titus chapter 2. If you can't read that, then you can turn over there. Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That means you and me. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Did you know that grace was meant to teach you something? It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I believe this. I believe that if we walk out of here today convinced that God wants to use us to impact the lives of other people, and we would just have a spirit every day, hey, God, I'm eager to do what's good. You know, sometimes doing what's good is just cleaning up the kitchen at home. A lot of people get fired up when that kitchen's clean at home. Things go better at home. You have people over, they go, wow, you have a clean kitchen. Makes an impact. Sometimes it's listening to that voice of the Spirit when it says, hey, why don't you take the the weird girl at work out to lunch, like in the video, and bring her to church and see what happens. Are you eager to do what is good? I do believe that this can be a defining principle. If you look in the book of Titus, this is said over seven to eight times. Just teach people to be eager to do what's good. Because if they would do that, man, they would stand out from a dark world. They would have an amazing impact. Don't allow comfort to seep into your life to the extent that you stop being eager to do what's good. If you're visiting with us this morning, you don't really know the scriptures. I want to encourage you strongly. Study the Bible. Understand what true faith is, according to the scriptures. Not not a religious faith based on our culture today. Not a faith based on rituals. Not a faith based on belief. But a faith that's really found in the Bible. If you're a disciple this morning, I want to challenge you strongly. Have great faith. Not in yourself and your abilities and your gifts, because like I said, we're humanistically, we know, we're not, we're not all that. But in what God can make us. How God can use us. How God can use a man like Philip. How God could use a man like Ananias, who's never heard from before, never heard from after. But the legacy that he left in the scriptures was one of tremendous impact. What will motivate you to do that? What will motivate you to be eager tomorrow when you wake up to do what's good? The grace of God that brings salvation. Jesus dying on the cross for you and I. This time let's bow and pray. As we think about the crucifixion, as we think about the communion, and let's make decisions during this time as we take the bread and the cup to really live for God this week. Let's pray together.
Almighty God and Father, we're so amazed by you. We're so affected by the cross and by Jesus. We want so much to have an impact in our lives, and sometimes we feel so limited, so ineffective. I pray, God, that you would help us to fight through those moments of challenge, that in those times we would remember Jesus crucified on the cross. We would remember all that he's done for us. We would remember how much you love us. God, that we would be deeply affected by you. And help us to be that light. Help us to be that man or that woman that's eager to do what's good, ready and willing to listen to your voice. And God, we want to radically change the world we live in for you. We believe it can happen. We know it's a person at a time. And help us each to have a vision, a dream of seeing our neighbors and friends and coworkers and people we go to school with becoming true disciples and having true faith. Father, help us not to sit back. Help us not to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the Pauls and the, the, the eunuchs without help. Help us to really be proactive in allowing the cross to move and motivate us to live for you. Thank you so much for loving us, God. We know we don't deserve it, but we appreciate it so much. We pray that today will be spent in a great way with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.